0: This is episode number 19 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording and message so that we can share together in the discussion. Today we have part 2 of the Zoe Parsons interview, we had to separate it into two parts simply because we had so many questions coming in about narcissistic abuse. Before we get started I want to say a huge thank you to Rockpool, they're the main sponsors for Hashtag Abuse Talk and we couldn't run in the same way without them. Sue Penner, who is a part of Rockpool, has just released a self help book called The Recovery Toolkit. It's a 12-week plan to support your journey from domestic abuse and you can get it now on Amazon in ebook and paperback form. It was actually a part of the programme which you would attend in person as I did but this is now accessible. Obviously with lockdown in place it gives people the chance to continue the programme at home or actually begin it. So do have a look at that and you can find Rockpool on uh, their website rockpool.life I also want to say a thank you to patrons Katrina Hay, Susan Rahima, and Dion Marsden. And they're a part of my Patreon account, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore, and they're on the hashtag abuse talk tier or above and basically they get to find out everything before anybody else i do polls and discuss news give them updates and also ask them for their opinion and direction so if you want to find out what's happening with hashtag abuse talk behind the scenes then do join us over there and that's on patreon.com forward slash jen l gilmore All support is welcome over there and so thankful to sponsors and Patreons to keep this podcast, the forum and the Twitter chat going now for what you're waiting for let's dive into that interview with zoe parsons i think you'll agree it follows on from the last one it's informative and i learned so much about narcissistic abuse it certainly left me thinking for quite a few days so thank you zoe for joining us and i hope you all enjoy this interview right hi everyone welcome to this sort of special because it's a part two and i've never done a part two to an interview before and I'm talking with Zoe Parsons and we were discussing last time about narcissistic abuse. Zoe helps people after they've come out of an abusive relationship and she specializes in this narcissism and this personality disorder that we've been sort of looking at and you sent in a mass amount of questions and last time we couldn't finish them all so I said let's let's get through them because the whole point of it of doing these interviews are really to um, get your questions answered so I feel bad leaving anyone out and Zoe has kindly agreed to um, continue this obviously things have changed since we last spoke so last time Zoe was in the car I was downstairs I'm now in the bedroom so apologies for (laughs) for what you can see right now and i think Zoe's up in in her bedroom as well so um we hope you all keeping safe and everything and hope that hopefully this will take your mind off it and hopefully we'll have a positive um conclusion to the interview so anyway thank you zoe for joining us yet again thanks for <laughs> having me how are you doing i'm all right
1: actually thanks yeah i'm good kind of what are we in now week three week two I, I can't even <laughs> <laughs> days and time seems to merge a bit
0: I know it's actually a bank holiday Monday right now and I'm like what <laughs> I know gone. it
1: just feels like a weekend or a weekday or oh, I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> well thank you um so we're just going to delve straight into it and i'm just going to go through these questions um because it's so it's so important to get the answers to these so following from the last interview we're going to go straight into it now um if narcissistic abuse causes the child to face the world as a victim and not as an independent person with abilities and opportunities what are the long-term consequences do you want me to repeat that one (laughs) because it's a bit of a mouthful
1: yeah go on repeat it
0: so if narcissistic abuse causes the child to face the world as a victim and not as an independent independent person with abilities and opportunities what are the long-term consequences
1: all right so i'm not sure what you mean by long-term consequences, as in for the narcissist or for the person that the narcissist is with? So let me answer it from both perspectives. So, if someone, obviously, we discussed in the part one that obviously narcissism is something that develops from um, childhood, from how whether that person has either been neglected or spoiled, it kind of impacts how their brain develops, right? So obviously, they're outlook on life is is different to us it, it's like they will do anything to essentially protect themselves and that kind of victim let's call it as the person mentioned in their question the person inside so for them as a narcissist because they don't actually see anything wrong with how they are they're just going to continue through life using people not having friends and family connections like how we would have friends and family connections but because they don't have empathy like we have they don't actually miss that connection with people like how we would miss that connection with people so for them they're just going to continue as they are essentially using people abusing people taking from you know what they can get from people and they'll just kind of continue in that way until they die essentially I mean there's there's no changing a narcissist you as a person who is involved or maybe it's a family member a work colleague or a partner you can't do anything to change them you Because essentially, change always has to come from within. Mm -hmm. I mean, you yourself probably know how hard it is to actually change yourself, right? So Mm -hmm. to look at changing someone else who actually doesn't think there's anything wrong with them, it's just a complete waste of energy on your part, which really goes into the second half of the answer to that question. So if you're a person and you're with someone who's narcissistic and you're thinking what are my long-term prospects with this person? Essentially, they will stay with you as long as you're giving them supply. So that supply can take, can be for anything. It can be emotional supply. It can be what you give them financially. It can be what you provide for them like economically. It can be sexual supply. It's anything that essentially feeds the emptiness that's within them. So for you, you're just going to end up getting exhausted. You're going to exert all your energies trying to change this person, fix this relationship, and you're not actually going to be able to get anywhere. And the only thing that you will achieve is you yourself being exhausted you yourself being worn out and them still continuing on yeah so i doing. mean
0: so obviously i think they mentioned about um a child victim here as well so what if um the obviously they're a couple and they have a child what are the what's what's going to happen to that child in their development with you know that kind of um parent figure that they're looking up to
1: So obviously, if you do have a child with a narcissist, you can, obviously, we know that any form of abuse impacts children, right? But you can counteract that by you yourself as the parent being consistent, being, um, you know, honest, not um, giving them everything thing that they want so for instance with my daughter because obviously I've got a a daughter with a narcissist so with her she's eight and a half so with her I make sure that she has she understands the situation but in a child-friendly way I make sure that she has appropriate boundaries so yes I discipline her she knows that if she misbehaves she's going to not have the iPad for the weekend or whatever it is that you're gonna whatever privilege it is you're going to remove from your children right and it's just being consistent with that it's it's consistently loving them talking to them and setting boundaries and sticking to those boundaries and if you do that the impact that the narcissist is going to have on your child will be lessened definitely
0: okay well thank you for that um So, I mean, I think we've covered this before, but um, somebody's asked, are they able to ever admit and account their actions? Do they know what they've done and the damage it's caused?
1: So, yes, they know what they're doing, but they don't care. They don't see anything wrong with it. They actually like how they are because it fulfills their needs that they have. So essentially narcissists are extremely selfish and because they are so selfish and because they're so entitled, all they actually care about is them and getting what they want. And they will make sure that they will achieve that even if it's at the expense of someone else. So yes, they know what they're doing. No, they don't care and no, they won't change. Okay,
0: and um, somebody sort of followed this on to will they ever stop, which I think you have answered. But this person said, my ex's sole goal seems to be to bankrupt me and he doesn't care that his affects our kids. He is achieving this by several means, not paying support, hiding money, my rising legal bills, which is forcing the sale of my home um, to pay it, etc
1: yeah no they um depend so depending on the relationship you have with that narcissist so some narcissists will just totally discard you and they won't want anything to do with you Mm -hmm. but majority of them in my experience tend to hold on they will stalk you and they will do these like smear campaigns that obviously that person there is experiencing and unfortunately they tend to not stop Mm. and and really with that type of situation it's just a case of what can you do to one um, not engage as much to emotionally protect yourself and obviously financially protect yourself and your children and it's kind of looking at for them, it just becomes a game they're game they're they're just spiteful they they want to get revenge, it's like you've hurt their ego, you've hurt their perceived image that they project, so for them, they want to do anything they can to kind of one appear that they're still the perfect parent, but two, they still wanna get back at you mm-hmm. for the damage that you've done to them and they don't care that if it hurts you by effect it hurts your children it's just how it is unfortunately so I mean obviously without knowing much more about that person's situation I can't go into detail so if that person wants to contact me and we can have a chat about some of the options maybe that you might have with regards um you know how you engage with them and how you can protect yourself emotionally and what you your necessarily with your options with court then yeah I mean definitely send me a message and we can have a chat about that
0: no that's great I mean I, I think it I think it is difficult and I don't know if you've heard the term but it's um sort of letting go of the rope I don't know if you've heard of that before where you're yes. pull it, pulling on it so you know you're opening the emails the text messages and everything and i mean it took me a long time to gradually stop that so mm-hmm. obviously child contact doesn't help any situation but for me um i don't know what it must it it must it's a part of the abuse that you feel that you'd need to open these emails or text messages or listen to those voice notes or whatever But for me, I couldn't decipher what he wanted from the message because all you can see is the verbal assault in in the um, context of the email or messages. And so it took me going to see somebody, and it was really a a parenting coach because I felt I wanted to help my parenting as I go through family court to help them. And really, it was how I managed the situation to respond and engage with um, him. And she, in the beginning, what she would do is she would read the email, I wouldn't open it, and she would just tell me, This is what you want. So, the one sentence that was important. Mm The rest ignore it, you know, and just directly answer the question. And it got to the point where it was like, I was then able to do that myself. And then it got to the point where I was like, I don't need to read these emails at all. You know, there's a court order in place. There's, you know, I don't need to do this. This is just Mm -hmm. what's happening and then to the point of actually blocking completely but it's a it's a really difficult process um but it's certainly one that you have to treat really safely because i think if you did just cut all ties and contact it might um increase the
1: risk exactly I mean, that's that's one of the things that I work with with my clients is Mm. exactly what your coach did with you. Is I'll open the emails, I'll send the person how to respond, and until essentially you get to the place, like you said, where you can emotionally detach from the prodding and the baiting and everything that they're doing, because obviously they know what spots to press and Mm. how to get a reaction from you, and they've essentially you know, however long you've been with them, they've essentially trained you to respond in this way. Mm. So it's, it's like you say, it takes a while, but you have to untrain yourself and get to a place where you are able to look at stuff or not look at stuff and just Mm. deal with things in a different way. And, and obviously with call, I mean, it's not an easy thing, but you can self represent. So if you're not eligible for legal aid, and it is taking all your resources obviously your ultimate thing is you need to keep your home for your children right so if that means that you need to self-represent and go down that way there's always that as an option and even though that in itself might seem really scary there are people out there and there are charities that can help you to do this effectively
0: yeah and just to know if anybody was watching i do have a solicitor that works and sort of gives advice and guidance for no for no cost at all so if that's something that you did need you know do get in touch um no but i would say as well coming back to what you said um that was such an important thing for me to do. So the service that you're offering is completely valuable. And I'd say to anybody that is struggling with that, um, and feeling dependent on reading those messages and, you know, getting upset, you know, about what's been said and not seeing what that person wants to, you know, invest in it because mm-hmm. I have no money, but I paid this person to in in the end to do that. And but she gave me the right tools. And the ability, the confidence to respond a certain way, mm-hmm. eventually to get to the position where I am now, where if anything was said, I would probably laugh or yeah. I would, it wouldn't affect me emotionally the same way it did then when I was in that that period of uh, just coming fresh out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So thank you for doing what what you do with that um so we've got this again you know ask an, anesthetist, an anesthetist aware of the abuse they do or do they just don't care i mean you've said they they do know <clears throat> whether we know if they care or not I, I, i'd be interested to hear what you say there but somebody said you know why does my dad um privates and unprivates his social media even though he has blocked me so I guess you've answered that in the same as a tactic really it is a
1: tactic it's all about um baiting you Mm. and trying to keep you engaged so essentially how so this is a little bit how a um, narcissist creates a trauma bond with you right so at the beginning of the relationship they're going to be hot they're going to love bomb you and then they're going to emotionally distance, or they might physically distance. So I hear a lot of cases of where you get ghosted, right? So you can be ghosted physically or emotionally. And what this does on you, it then makes you obsessed, because in the time that they're not speaking to you, you're like, what are they doing? What have I done? What could I have done better? And you think about everything that is your fault, that you could maybe change so when they come back one you're so happy to see them and two you're just relieved and you stop thinking about all of this stuff going on in your mind which is them so your focus is back on them in a physical way but when they weren't there your focus is also on them mentally so your mental capacity all the time is being used up with thinking about them so when you leave or when they leave and they do this type of similar behavior it's essentially the same thing that they did in the beginning And what it does is it makes you mentally consumed with them. And Mm -hmm. when you're mentally consumed with them, you're not focusing on yourself and you're not focusing on your healing and you're distracted maybe with the attention that your kids need. You're distracted at work. So you're not able to maybe push yourself forward to get that promotion because you're not 100% present. And this behavior is essentially them still controlling you they might not be controlling you physically but they are controlling your mind so you have to get to a place where you go no i'm not going to play their game and you block them Mm. you take control and i know this is really really hard to do because it goes back to the trauma bond where you end up becoming addicted to them Mm. and this blocking actually ends up being like a physical withdrawal that you're going through it's like they are essentially your drug of choice Mm. so again this is something that i work with with my clients so if anyone is having a problem with this you know send me a message i can help you i've got some techniques i can email you and just some things that you can do if you don't want to do like the full-on coaching with me that's fine
0: Mm.
1: and just kind of think about whether a, a relationship with a narcissist or an abusive person is all about control. So everything that they do is about control. And if you can remember that, just think, what are they controlling? Are they still controlling my physical actions? Are they still controlling my children? Are they still controlling my money? Are they still controlling my mental capacity, my thoughts? Mm. And if they are still doing any of that, then you are the one who can actually take control back. And go, no, you know what? I'm gonna change this and I'm not going to let them control me in that way.
0: And like you had a big smile at saying that and and, and to be honest, you know, I look back and it was a really hard slog <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, begin is. with. It's but hard. it is so rewarding because you're you know, you you come out of that relationship and you're free, right? You but are, you're yeah. not. No. You're not because it's all there and, and yeah. things are still happening. So it's like another level of freedom and I, and I see myself with recovery, another step of freedom, you know, you know, exactly. step by step. So no, that's great. Thank you for that. <clears throat> right. Let's have a look. So my narc abuser has fooled the family court into forcing the children to live with hair um against their will and she's now refusing contact or any form of co-parenting despite the court orders what can i do how can i change the situation because the court system seems not to work
1: yeah i mean that's obviously really difficult because you can't call the police because the police will just say it's a civil matter Mm. and unless you've got proof or evidence that the children are actually in danger i mean they'll go around and they'll do a welfare check but they won't um physically remove the children and bring them back to you mm. um i mean your only option really is court so i'm not 100 percent sure why you say court isn't working for you mm. um it's kind of
0: maybe it's the fact that it's um you know yeah it's okay getting that person to court. I'm being there, but then they're continually to go against the court order itself. Because I mean, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I was going through the system, I was so scared that I was going to be fined or imprisoned if I mm. missed even one um access. But I realised towards the end that, that you know, um, I had to make a choice to safeguard children to sort of stop it. And um, I realised that actually nothing was done with that because the court did listen to me to see my concerns. But then you hear of all these stories where people have purposefully stopped court, um, you know, the access and nothing has happened. And then you see the other side where they have been fined or imprisoned or, you know, they've lost the the complete residency order mm-hmm. over it so i don't know really do you think maybe it's uh whoever you get on the day kind of situation? i know i mean it's it's
1: it's hard because like with the court process you can it seems to be very hit and miss like you can have a really good kafka's officer and then one that's mm. really biased it's the same with social workers it's the same with the judge it's the same even with your you know if you've got a solicitor or a barrister that they can end up even taking the side of you know your ex and which sometimes in a way I do feel that those self-representation is scary in a way you are the only one that has your best interests and the best interests of your children at heart and you are the only one that knows your situation properly and sometimes I think that can actually be to your advantage because you have a vested interest whereas sometimes depending on the solicitor and the barrister that you have if they're not necessarily specialist in this area they can be Mm. kind of a bit unhelpful but
0: yeah maybe um, it's something like looking for somebody that is specialist in the area which you don't think about when you originally go looking for a solicitor you just sort of just assume that every solicitor is going to (laughs) hell
1: exactly yeah I mean I definitely would say that that person needs to speak to someone to get legal advice with regards what their next steps would be because obviously their ex is breaking the court order and if the children are being held unwillingly I mean, there's definite welfare concerns there. So, Hmm. yeah, I mean, maybe that person can either get in touch with the solicitor you mentioned or um, there's a charity that I know, they're called a Family Law Charity. And basically you can book in for a half hour legal advice and it costs like 25 pound and it's all online so you fill in the form you pay through paypal and then they do it over a phone call so you give your background information and they you will get a specialist and they are specialist solicitors who deal with domestic violence and um obviously family law so Mm. i've used them a few times because i always self-represent but um you know if you just want to know what your next steps are maybe do that, write out everything in detail and then just either contact your person or yeah. contact them. I'll send you the that link so you can put the link when yeah, you'll put, you put it in the description. The mm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the next one, which I think would be um is a really good question. Um, what UK support there? It, so, what, let's start again what UK support is there to help you recover from narcissistic abuse or intimate partner relations with someone with a personality disorder like NPD and antisocial personality disorder and she goes on to ask many GPs and therapists aren't trained in disorders
1: yeah I mean I, I completely agree with that last The statement they're not I mean that's one of the reasons why I actually got qualified and I do what I do because when I came out of my relationship um because the police were involved I got offered eight weeks of like talk therapy with a counsellor which helped to a certain degree but it wasn't really specific to the abuse we kind of went more into my childhood and we looked at why maybe I'd ended up in an abusive relationship as a result of stuff I'd experienced in my childhood, which to some extent was eye-opening. but I was still dealing with the police and the, um, all the emotional fallout. I was working full time. I was like a single parent and, and I just found like I ended up getting after about six weeks after six months after he broke in and attacked me, I, then went to the doctors because I got signed off work for a month and I was like I need something more what is there so he was like I can refer you for counseling through the NHS so I was like okay great you know I was like this is going to be great so I went through all the assessment I spent like an hour and a half on the phone re-talking about everything to a stranger which in itself is re-traumatizing yeah. because you're having to rehash stuff and obviously with mine it was there, there was also rape involved so you know some of this stuff it's like talking about is really hard but you kind of push yourself to go through it because i was like you know what if i can get the help at the end of it it's worth talking with a phone to a stranger on the phone about this so anyway so then the person phoned me back the counselor phoned me back and she was like all i can offer you is cbt and and she was like but she said because my fears weren't imagined and they were very real essentially she was like, CBT is not going to work for you because CBT is something you do after you've dealt with a trauma. And obviously I needed a therapist who was going to help me with trauma. So I was like, so what do I do? Where do I go? And there was literally, all I had was Facebook groups and Instagram posts. And you kind of think what, is there where can I go so in the end at the time I was working for Sky so I just contacted I had private health insurance and I contacted them and I ended up managing to get a therapist who actually dealt with trauma and rape and I think I had I had like sessions with her every week for about six months and to be honest without that in the end like I was diagnosed with PTSD I had women's syndrome i had panic attacks nightmares flashbacks you know i mean the whole everything that you get as a result of experiencing being in an abusive relationship and and i just thought where do you go like her service her services weren't advertised there was no it was kind of potluck that i even got her yeah and i was like where do you go so when obviously i'd healed and then i thought you know what I'm going to train and qualify and just make myself available to help people so that they can, one, they can look at me and they can feel confident knowing that they're speaking with someone who's been there, done it. Obviously I, I'm at a place now where I've done like the complete journey of healing. I'm happy. I'm in a happy, healthy relationship, you know? So it's kind of, if you need help, come and speak to me.
0: Mm, no I completely um agree and I think there's um you've got a, an amazing facebook group I know you you said you were looking at facebook groups etc but <laughs> exactly. to be honest it's finding the hidden gems on facebook isn't it and and these different communities so um you know do check out zoe's facebook group um it's certainly got a wealth of information and support in there so yeah um and obviously I'll put all of your details in the description of sure. this um, podcast, so people can find it a lot easier. Um, so, do you? Th- this is the last question from um, people that have sent them in, um, and this one has not been covered. And <laughs> okay. again, thought provoking. Do you think there is a connection between narcissistic abuse and parent alienation?
1: Um, as in. Yeah, I mean, if, so obviously with narcissistic abuse, it, we know that it develops in childhood, right? So mm-hmm. if that child has been, a, res, you know, on the receiving end of parent alienation, maybe they've been taken from the non-narcissistic parent and they've been brought up by the narcissistic parent, then, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some kind of impact on that person because like, obviously narcissism develops as a result of abuse essentially and if you are being deliberately alienated from a good parent then I mean that's definitely on my mind I would say that that's a form of abuse mm-hmm. because the person isn't just going to be withholding you know access or contact with that parent they're going to be basically running that parent down and making that child feel afraid to have contact or maybe feel that they're not loved and and you know one thing I do know from what I've experienced with my daughter is you have to make sure that you don't say that the other parent is bad because Mm. your child's identity is still caught up with that other parent, right. so if you say that that parent is bad and they 've done this and they 've done that it said that child takes that on board for themselves, and they essentially say i 'm bad i 'm evil i 'm worthless so you have to be when you're speaking about if you 're the healthy parent and you 're speaking about the narcissistic parent your ch- child you have to be honest but you have to be neutral you yeah. have to do it in a non like I hate the bastard you know you can't be (laughs) you know you might feel that inside but you can't be doing that Mm. with your children it has to be this is your dad this is your mom we are not together anymore because of x I still love you they still love you and neutral don't be because obviously otherwise you're going to end up having a child who takes on some of that bad feelings and uh, you know identity which you know if that's prolonged yeah it's going to have a massive impact on their development and Mm. I mean who's who's not to say that they wouldn't then develop some form of narcissism to protect that damaged Mm. child inside
0: and I think it's um you know, I've always been the one to say, you know, that, that neutral ground and <clears throat> which is, you know, it's really not easy at times when you, when maybe the other person is not being the neutral ground that you are, um, because you know that, and I know I can hold on to is when they're older, you know, mum always, you know, just didn't say anything. But my dad mm-hmm. said all of this about my mum. and. Mm-hmm. I think that carries more more weight in the the terms of how we speak about each other. I come from um, parents that are divorced. And I know that, you know, my dad was very unfavorable towards my mum. And I'm actually really close to my dad. And one day I just said, I don't, I can make up my own mind about my own mum. You know, I don't need you to Mm -hmm. sort of cloud my opinion or my learning of her as a person. And ultimately that's going to affect me. You know, and and the whole family dynamic. So, I mean, it's like the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? Especially oh, if yeah. you've got a partner who, an ex um, partner who is saying these horrible things mm-hmm. to to that child. What do you think about? Um, so, say the you know your your um, narcissistic ex partner is using um, parent alienation as a tactic i mean it's going to be pretty obvious i would imagine that that's what's happening mm-hmm. how how would we how would we deal with that situation
1: again i think with you as the parent who is there it's just being consistent and not retaliating so essentially because the problem is with narcissistic parents is they'll always try and put the child in the middle so a narcissistic tactic tactic is to triangulate they love to have three people go in between and causing an issue and essentially they will do that with the children and they'll, and it will be things like, um, Instead of asking you for contact arrangements, they'll get the child to ask you for contact arrangements, Mm. you know, and for you responding to that, instead of you replying to the child and saying, I will tell your dad or mom this, you say, oh, you don't need to worry about that, darling. I'm going, I'll reply to your mom or your dad. I'll text them and we'll arrange it. So you take that. Mm. burden of the child because essentially what that's trying to do is they're trying to one involve the child in your you know in the dispute which is unnecessary and it's harm emotionally harmful for the child and two it's also making that child responsible for adult things and things that they don't need to be responsible for so I mean, defi- I mean, I see that a lot. So definitely, if you're finding they're doing that, then always take that responsibility yeah. off and then you reply direct, however means your contact is set up. With regards to parent alienation, it's, I think the only thing you can do is to consistently show your child that what the other person is saying about you isn't true. And unfortunately, that is something that takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I suppose it's like that development and
1: trying to keep on
0: top of a relationship and (laughs) and that's not easy if it's suppressed by not being able to see them. So yeah, no, thank you. I thought that was really interesting about the sort of the you know, looking at it as the triangulating and, yeah. and how that fits in and can think back to <laughs> <the> sad <laughs> situations. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> you know that sort of leads me on to say, you know, you, you you've experienced lived experiences and and I have as well, and we're both talking about this quite openly. We are talking at, about it maybe as a, a matter of fact situation, you know, mm-hmm. I'm able to sort of box things and open the box. You know, I can choose what I want to talk about. And I'm sure that's the same for you. Um, and f- for me, I think, you know, I want to say thank you for that because it's still not easy and we, we, you know, it's still difficult because some days you just maybe not feel like you want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you manage with your mindset? You know, how do you deal with, you know, potential triggers like the conversations that we've had or other people? How do you deal with
1: that side? You know, what I think what I found is, I mean, I'm at a place now where... I very rarely get triggered by anything, but in the beginning, when I was, you know, starting, oh, like everything triggered me—like smells, songs, movies. Um, My ex, he's Jamaican, so obviously, if I heard a Jamaican accent, just—he's tall, so if I passed a tall man in the street, I was just like, oh, I'm just couldn't cope with any of it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think the natural reaction is when something like that happens is you wanna suppress it, you wanna ignore it, and you wanna push that as far away from you as possible. But the only problem is with doing that, is when you suppress, it then causes mental blockages and that, those mental blockages is actually the things that causes the nightmares, that causes the panic attacks and makes your triggers worse. So, as unpleasant as it is you have to feel it to be able to go through it so one of the things that um, I'll do with my clients is basically create essentially it's a worry journal mm. where basically you get a piece of paper and you section it up and then you write down in one section the incident that happened your you write down your feelings so whether it was fear panic worry anxiety whatever it is you and you give it a rating and then in the next column you then challenge those thoughts so you go to you ask yourself questions such as what's the proof what's the evidence am i thinking too black and white um what would i say to a friend and then you write down the answers in the next column and then you really focus on the answers and then you And then in the next section, you write down your fears and you give yourself a rating. And generally what happens is in this column, your fears are very high. Say it was fear, maybe you'd rate it 10 or nine. But by the time you go through the process and you get to the end bit, it's normally less. And if Hmm. you keep doing that, you have to keep doing it. This is what with, you know, with any type of therapy or counseling it takes work it's it's not something you can do once and you're fixed i mean i had my therapy was for 6 months i'm sure when you was with your coach it was for a sustained period of time right yeah so, yeah so it is something that you have to be prepared to invest in yourself to do the work and you have to be prepared that at times you're going to feel really crappy mm-hmm. but i can guarantee you that if you do it You can get to the other side where Mm -hmm. these initial feelings and triggers that end up being so overwhelming actually become less until they kind of don't end up controlling or overwhelming you. And you can kind of, like you say, talk about your situation as and when you want to, you're not triggered by random things. And it's, it's just, you it's just another form of you taking control of your situation and going okay i'm gonna get support from someone i'm gonna get validated one thing i'm going to talk about my experience and i'm going to receive validation because you know when you've been in an abusive relationship the one thing you feel is that you're crazy and you don't actually trust yourself and was it really as bad as Mm. it actually was no that's
0: um that's great thank you so much for that um so the most important thing how how do people get in touch with you? How do they? You know, you know that's you know we've we've spoken quite a lot over two sections now, and I think it's really important for people to be able to reach out if they can. So how do they do that?
1: Yeah, so obviously you can find me on Facebook, as uh, Zoe Parsons. My um, practice name is Self Love After Abuse. So if you search on that, I've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group, which is private. So if you want the support, come and join the group. Um, Obviously, my website, which is www.selfloveafterabuse.com, and I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn. I mean, basically, uh, you'll either find me under my name or under my practice name. So. I think if you do google search you'll come across
0: some stuff no that's great and of course um i will put put everything in the 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 information but for anyone listening i wanted to hear from you um so i just want to say a huge thank you for answering those questions some of them were not you know they're not easy to hear or they're not easy to dissect or if you don't know the full point of view it's really difficult so do if um, you want a further knowledge from those uh, questions that you've had answered, for those that I send them in, do get in touch with Zoe. If it's not brought any kind of uh, clarification, some of them were very specific, so it would be good to you know you can contact Zoe. Get in touch with her take that opportunity to connect with Zoe and to find out further if you need to. Um, and just a big thank you, Zoe. It's been an absolute pleasure to put a real person to a profile that obviously we've been connected for some time now and I know you've been on the twitter chat quite a few times so it's been just a really lovely um chance to sort of talk to you and get to know you a bit further and hear about what you do so
1: well thanks for having me and I hope everyone has found at least got (laughs) some answer to some of their questions but like you said definitely ping me a message if you want to know more because I'm always available for a chat
0: yeah I think it's one of those subjects where it it's like some of it just has has context or you just need to have that validation that uh, for yourself you know all of all of that like the kind of questions that are swimming on in in your head and people are in different parts of their recovery stage or Mm -hmm. maybe still with that partner which won't won't help the you know sort of understanding of Mm -hmm. of some of the answers as well so thank you i found it really eye-opening i know after the first part i ended up talking to my husband about it and sort of you know going through and analyzing things yet again <laughs> <laughs> as you do so so thank you for that and thank you for bringing your knowledge and i will let you go now
1: um, <laughs> thanks. well so bye and obviously thanks so much for having me it's been really good
0: <laughs> no thank you <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope it gave you a bit more of an insight. Zoe has opened her inbox so if anybody did need to ask any more questions or find out any further information, do find her. Um, You can find all the information for her on the description of this podcast as well so you can click with ease. I also want to mention that on the 27th of May we are officially opening the Hashtag Abuse Talk website. We're having an online grand opening and we're so excited so we hope you can check it out then. The next Hashtag Abuse Talk interview will be broadcast live on the YouTube channel on the 3rd of June and it will be with Sue Penner all about recovering from trauma. You will also be able to catch it on the podcast on Thursday the 4th of June and going forwards. You can also listen to it on Access Northwest radio station Wednesdays at 8pm, Saturdays at 2pm and Mondays at 5am for those early birds. You've been listening to Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. You can find them both on my website, jennifergilmore.com, or you can find them on Amazon.